That's mm. what it is now. Now it's not just standing up for a people or representing a people. It's saying, if I'm going to represent people in the way that I have said I'm going to, he's going to have to convince certain people to lose money. And everybody hates that. And that's the, that's the power. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Lego. Okay. As PK would say. <laughs> As who would say? Peter Kavinsky. Uh, okay. You remember, it's sure. like one of the classic lines from the first movie where he goes, Lego, and they go into the party. I, I, I don't know if I assigned that to Peter Kavinsky, per se. You are clearly not a scholar uh, for the movie to all the boys I've loved before. No, I, I, uh, no, I am a, a cultural critic of it. Um, <laughs> I, I have more forensics in the books, although I also like sometimes I glaze over some of the baking parts. Sorry. Uh, when it's 10 pages about rolling dough, uh, those parts, maybe I have a less photographic memory for. I love how you just referred to the movie in pages. Nobody does that, Duanna. We refer to the movie in scenes. I actually so, just said yes. in the book, but uh, nonetheless, yes, we refer to the movie in pages. I do, look, I do have that. You can't tell me you don't. I, um, one of the problems in my life, literally no joke, uh, is uh, what my partner would refer to as my lasers, like watching a show I am always watching a show or a movie on two levels. I'm always watching on the story level and also the level where I'm like a ticker tape that says, wow, this scene is seven minutes or they had to set this up <laughs> right at the perfect time so that they could get that terrible lighting. Or, uh, you know, I wonder how many people did a better line read of that line, but they cast this guy. I always have a ticker tape running of production in my head. And See, I'm with your loud. partner because that might be fun for you, but it's not fun for the person watching beside you. Because I know you, you also don't keep it to yourself. I don't, um, but, but who else am I supposed but, to talk so to? So not fun for the person sitting beside you. We just want to watch on one level. One level. As he am would I say, fun? and I think Is I have enjoyable? said this on this podcast, he will say, I'm with my friends right now, by which he means the people on screen. Um, and I, I get that, but also, yes, I see the mechanics. Like I see the, the, the structural, whatever. Keep it to yourself. That's the thing. I'm trying, but the whole thing is like, but, but we all agree that like, you know, sharing things or commenting during a show is kind of an element in itself that people do, but Oh, not my commentary. Not, con not your kind. Like, yeah, that's Peter why Kavinsky Kathleen and I here. don't invite you to watch teeny bobber movies with us because the things we comment on are Lego squealing in certain moments, rewinding for hair, for like little looks. And then the shit that you're talking about is lighting and how they had to repo and no, 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 not the fun. It's very fun. Uh, and also, you to skimmed whom? over that I I lit into your life with this business earlier this week uh, because uh, I had occasion to call Yasik on the telephone like it was eighth grade uh, because <laughs> he was complaining about the Westminster Dog Show and how tightly they hold the leashes, you know? Did he oh, tell I you wrote this? about that already. Were, oh, I dying. wrote about it today. I wrote oh. about it today that he had an issue with how the 
handlers were like pulling on the leashes, shared it within the group chat. And then I wrote, then Duanna had to call and Duanna explained to him why they did that. <laughs> Except that you know that I'm right. They did it for those who are uh, being scared away from this by Elaine. They did it because it allows the camera to always get a shot of the dog's face. Like the whole sort of false premise of making this a TV show is that we need to be able to see into the dog's soul, right? Like when they're like uh, <laughs> Keswick mornings just in time or whatever, you're like, that's not a dog. That's not a dog called Buddy or, or Zowie or something that I can connect with. So the way that you do it is by constantly being on their eyes. And you have to admit that the like live cutting, the live switching from the truck is beautiful you always are on the dog's faces in the Westminster dog show. You never accidentally cut to like their ankle instead. Uh, and part of the reason they're holding that leash so tight is so that the camera people can be always aware of where they're going to find the face. To which my husband would respond, well, that's not fair to the dogs. I, 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 have, no, I have no arguments there. I didn't say that that was the case, but yes, agreed. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, I have already included that on the site. Yes, that you did call and had to do and explain the production and the presentation and the camera situation to him. Yeah, I'm not going to pay attention to you right now because I'm just uh, scrolling through the site looking for my name. It's um, in what else? All right. Got it. <laughs> well, I see. I see how important it was then. It's in what else? Got it. It's the last item in All right. What else is that was what else? Um, Shall we get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode? Well, there's really only meat, right? And I actually think that's kind of part of it. And it's that's glorious in a way. Like you said to me when we were trying to uh, decide on a lineup, you were like, what's happening? It's so slow. And whatever you want to call it, if you want to call it like, like hot back summer or whatever, I feel like everybody is just agreeing to focus on life. And there are no stories because everybody's like, we're actually not going to work this summer. Thanks. (laughs) It's shot girl summer. And yes, I intend to begin my shot girl summer as very soon. That is apparently the expression. At least uh, with the youngins on well, social Well, the youngins, media. I believe that. I'm getting mine from John Oliver skewering local newscasts. So, you know, that's also valid. But uh, hot back summer. Uh, but yeah, I think that, you know, there's an understanding, for example, in, in the industry, uh, there's an <laughs> understanding that like absolutely no work gets done between December 1st and January 5th. Like there's don't even try, don't return a call, whatever. It shuts down for December. Um, And that's kind of the vibe I'm getting right now. Like people are doing stuff. They're going to like meet their deadlines or show up to shoot stuff or whatever. But everybody's like, we just want to go play. Right? Which Which is interesting too, because at this time is like Emmy season. It's Emmy campaign season. So on the one hand, you have this yes attitude, as you're talking about, which is like everybody just wants to fuck off and play. People want to get on planes, right? They want to go someplace else. We've been, for those, certainly, for those areas, territories, regions that can actually reopen, everybody wants to reopen, get the fuck out of their house, get on a plane, go somewhere, see their friends, go wild, like buck-ass wild. I am prepared to become a wild animal. Um, like right now among your, be, yeah, July is just going to be a blur. But among your many groups of friends, how many trips would you say are you currently planning, talking about, or in the works on in some form? Four. Uh, Four. There's a Vegas. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's a Vegas, which you're in on. There's a Seoul, South Korea, which another group of friends and I are on. There is like a Vancouver, 
there is a tropical, there is, I want to go to the East Coast of Canada. There's, yeah, there's multiples. A lot of stuff. And that, let's say, multiplies across the, uh, across sort of the landscape. So yeah, there's not a lot to talk about because there isn't a lot to talk about. And in response to your uh, kind of query about, well, it's, it's Emmy time. I think everybody will hit us in the face on like August 10th, ready to work while we are still like soaking up the last drops of summer. Then it will be like, bam, new look, bam, new relationship, bam, 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 new project, new project, new project. But for now, everybody's like, can I just, um, (laughs) like, it's just a little, you know, uh, there's Americans have the 4th of July. They always kind of psychologically fuck off until then anyway. Um, it's, it's going to be a bit of a pause. And so into that is the context in which we all watched in the Heights last week. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, and not a lot of people watched. Well, no, not well, yes and no. And who can tell, but yeah. Um, I, you know, in the Heights dropped in, theaters in places where theaters are allowed to be open, which I think amounts to many places in the U S right. But Mm -hmm. also was released, uh, on streaming. And if I understand correctly, HBO subscribers in the U S, uh, it was free. It was not an additional purchase, which it was here. I happily plunked down my 25 bucks. I felt like that was, you know, money well spent. I do kind of want to watch it again now. So am I going to pay another 25 bucks? Probably. But, uh, but yeah, people saw it in many ways. But, uh, you know, the scuttlebutt is that the box office doesn't necessarily reflect that, which is that fair? I don't know. I don't know either. But I think between that story and then BuzzFeed's story about whatever, um, uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda's backlash and mo- like people, him becoming a punchline um, about him becoming someone that Gen Z makes fun of. It was an, it's an interesting place for us to talk about. Well, yeah, because I think uh, there are so many things to, to dig into. Uh, and at its heart, this is, a movie where I can tolerate uh, critique of Lin-Manuel Miranda. I can tolerate critique of the film and whether or not it uh, was appropriately cast uh, in terms of racial uh, casting, in terms of colorism issues uh, to accurately reflect Washington Heights, like the neighborhood where it is set. Um, but I, I can't really litigate, like, did people choose not to go see this movie because fuck you, we're in eight different versions of a pandemic, depending on where you are. But also, this movie feels like summer to me. You know, we had a, we had a, we're having these like safe backyard hangs with like two other friends at the most. And one of the things that came up that's not new uh, is a discussion of like people getting back to nature versus like, you know, getting out of a city or into a city (laughs) or whatever. And you and I, uh, and me, the loudly, loudest and most obnoxious uh, in the chorus, were kind of like, summer doesn't, like, like, nature doesn't feel like freedom to me. And this movie, uh, and make no mistake, I was neither born nor raised anywhere near Washington Heights. I have never danced. I have actually danced an open, open fire hydrant one time. But this feels like summer to me. Like this, this, you can smell the smells and you can see sort of the water on the sidewalks and whatnot. It feels summery. Yes. Like, couldn't you feel that summer stuff coming off it? I could. And like, I can, I can, you know, you, you were describing it. You can feel the sweat. I can feel, you know, when I watch a movie like that, I can feel like the heat radiating off the pavements. Like for people who love summer or sorry, for people who love nature, they're anti-concrete, right? They're mm-hmm. like, they don't want to see pavement. They just, I don't know, like dirt and trees. As, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we hung out in the backyard with our friends, 
um, you and I were the people. It was me. I, 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 it was me that made the declaration. I, you know, it's my line. I hate nature. Like I, I'm, and I, what I mean by that is I don't like going out into nature and with, I don't know, camps, camping and trees and the lake. I have no romanticism about that shit. Well, I realize why not for my part anyway, because, uh, going like trees are fine. Lakes are fine. But the goal of going out into nature in that way is to be away from people and to me, that's what I don't want. You know, there's a, the, the big kind of scene in, in the Heights that you've seen, even uh, if you're never going to watch the movie, is the big like pool extravaganza. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that to me is a glorious joy. Like everybody's together. They're all having a hot summer together. Um, and going into nature, the implication is, and please don't yell at me with like, we go visiting in a boat. Like I know, and I've done it. The <laughs> point is to get away from crowds and people. And to mm-hmm. me, no joke, summer is the gift of crowds and people, the gift of getting to do things yeah. all together. And that's what I feel the movie really kind of expressed and celebrated. For me, it's not so much like, I mean, you, you, you said it's people. For me, it's options. In nature, not that many options. Yeah, fair. In the city, lots and lots of options. And when I say options, I, I don't just mean activities. I mean food. Mm-hmm. You know, if you are hankering for a specific thing to eat in the nature, chances are, when it's my hankering for a specific thing to eat, it's not going to be found in the nature. Well, like, that's not what, what nature is for. You're, you're supposed to cook <laughs> that if you want to cook that. But yeah, yeah it's, that's not like, what that hankering is. Yeah. No. I, it, and so it's options. I think city life has more options. And so, yes, for me, that movie also yeah, is definitely summer. It's the concrete. It's the heat. It's the options where you look around And something that you want is three blocks away, be it a food option, a shopping option, a person option as, you know, for you, an entertainment option, whatever it is. I like options. Well, to get into uh, a bit of like, you know, technical putting the movie together forensics uh, that you will hate, but go with me here. You know, uh, the first day of the movie, like the first sort of fictional story day, lasts for, I think it's like three quarters of said movie. You know, it is that day all day. And that's because it's summer. That's what happens in June. The days just get longer and longer and longer. Mm -hmm. You have options because the day is 100 years long and you can go and do those things. And so I really liked that element of it, that we meet all these people believably on one day because the day is about a hundred years long. And believably because like when you are, and that is the joy of it when you're talking about a neighborhood. Um, I obviously can't like you relate to Washington Heights, but when I think of summer and concrete, I think of the summers I spent in Hong Kong, hot Mm -hmm. as fuck. Mm Mm-hmm. Lots of pavement and concrete, right? Yeah. It's called the concrete jungle for a reason. Back in the day, called the concrete jungle for a reason. And that's what a day looked like. You know, you, you go with your ma to dim sum. You run into all kinds of people at dim sum. Then she's going to drop off by and pick something up two blocks away at the nail salon. Then there are people at the nail salon. Then she might have to go and pick something up at the mahjong den. And then there are the people at the Mahjong Den. And that is like a neighborhood where you end up seeing and gossiping and catching up and talking uh, all day. And you can't really say that you did anything, but you did all the things. And then you wake up and repeat it all over again. It was right. ex- and there's it felt exactly for, like that. Yeah, there's room to see everybody. There's room for to have a family moment and to have romance and to have whatever. You know, you go to dinner at Nina's house before you go out, after you close up work for the day, because there is time to do all those things because summer. Anyhow, um, I mean, I was primed to like this movie. Let's not kid ourselves that there was going to be a world (laughs) where I wasn't going to like it. 
Uh, I had some, like, there were some parts I didn't like as much, but I was primed to like it. I really had a ball. Uh, I think the the kind of prevailing story from people who didn't know or whose world this isn't is like, wow, Anthony Ramos. And yeah, Anthony Ramos is spectacular and compelling and great. We knew he was great on stage, but he's great on film after having been ignominiously cut out of A Star is Born, for which I'm still mad and I'm never going to get over it. Um, you know, it was in A Star is Born. Yeah, he, I don't think he was cut out. Well, he was cut out. His He literally, his role was to be like, hey, let's go. Yeah. Or like, can you believe this? Like, yes. why do you hire Anthony Ramos if you're yeah. not going to have him do anything more than like, okay, I'll see you later. Like, obviously there had to have been more that was cut. Uh, nobody signs on to be the sixth line best friend. But anyway, did you like the movie? I loved the movie. Like in a way that, like, I loved it. I thought it was like bursting with energy. I, I don't think I have any moments that I didn't like, or I loved all of it. I think it was so, it was a star. And I, you know, one of the reasons why is because I also think that it's, so exciting when movies make movie stars. And to go back to Anthony Ramos, like the movie has made him a movie star. And this is what a lot of people are already saying. It's nothing new, but it's fun to watch that in real time. It's fun to watch someone take up the entire screen. Um, so that was one of the big things I loved about it. Well, um, and if I can and, just jump in there for a second, yeah. like it's fun when it's true. Uh, you know, with movies this big, people want stories like that coming out of any kind of big anticipated movie, right? Um, you know, the, the there were similar stories in a different context, obviously, out of A Star is Born or out of, I don't know, Wonder Woman 1 or whatever. It's like A Star, you know, here's the here's the movie star. Here's the moment. Here's the whatever. It's not always true, but we always, we all kind of accept as a movie going society that this is going to be the narrative, right? Whether it proves true later, but you can watch Anthony Ramos and be like, oh yeah, I, I get this. I see this. This is happening. Yeah. I, to me, that is what, I mean, it's one of the things, but when we're talking about like creating creating notable figures and being able to track their beginning and see what happens next. It's really, really exciting. I mean, honestly, he pops. Like I, I remember cause I interviewed him for the junket and I'm pretty sure I told you after, or I said to you after I was like this, I am, I can't, I, I am melting over this person. I, I'm not surprised. I don't, I'm sure we talked about it, but yeah, it's like, okay, this is what they were born to do. You know, um, it was, yeah, it was exciting. The only thing that would have been better would be watching it in a group. Uh, I have Mm -hmm. a plan to go to a drive-in with Kathleen, uh, in a few weeks, like, you know, post shots and, and see it in that environment, like a hot, sweaty evening to watch in the Heights would be really, really exciting. Um, so there's that. There are, of course, like other elements of, of how it fits into the bigger narrative, you know, where on the one hand, it's a welcome back to summer. And in many ways, it feels like a welcome back to like life and invitation. But of course, it's not without criticism. And those criticisms are not without validity. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's notable actually that Anthony Ramos doesn't come into the conversation anywhere near any of them. Um, you brought up and sent uh, an article that, like, let's be honest, uh, I know it came out this week, but also you would have been happy to have been sitting on it for two years and sent it to me, um, uh, entitled uh, basically Why Gen Z Loves to Mock Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yes. Uh, more accurately, sorry, was... Why Gen Z Loves to Drag Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. I, I think it was, it just made me laugh. Obviously, I don't love to drag him. Um, but and it was uh, written by Meha Razdan for uh, BuzzFeed. And it's about how, yeah, there are people who uh, like call him corny. 
Um, there are people who think he's too much. Um, and this is all also lumped in with the, again, valid criticism of Hamilton, some of the themes it explores. Um, and then we're like, when we're combining it with the, the criticisms of In the Heights, it's an, like I said earlier, it's an interesting conversation to have given that he is one of the most prolific producers, content creators right now. Um, so tell me what you think. I mean, I, I, I think at the core, uh, I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is desperately dorky, desperately cheesy. <laughs> and I don't think there was ever any argument, uh, to the contrary. Like, yeah. I, I, I think the, the, the thing comes in with him, uh, or the people around him being self-aware enough to go. I'm making musical theater. Like there's a fucking limit to the level of cool we are going to yeah. say, right? I think there was a really interesting note in this piece about how, um, and I kind of talked about it a bit last week, about how a lot of teens in particular were formed by Hamilton, by loving Hamilton, by like being felt feeling seen in some way or other by Hamilton and by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And it makes sense that that which you were in love with in 2015, when you yourself were 15 must necessarily be like dorky and embarrassing by the time you are 21 mm -hmm. or 25. Right. And I'm not even being, I'm not trying to mock people going through that process. That's, that's how you grow up. That's how you, you kind of, stuff that you loved at a certain time into context and into a box. So I understand that part of it for sure. Um, and you know, there's a, the next level of this is like, how are you acting like you are essentially the, the savior of, uh, broadly Puerto Rican and Latinx content when in fact there are holes in your work or there are, um, elements certainly of, Hamilton and Washington and, and the historical figures that he portrays, you know, we don't see the dark sides of them for this work because we're not supposed to. Um, and there's a criticism there that I'm like, yeah, that's fair. That's a fair criticism. And seeing only one side of people is why we're having discussions about, uh, statues and names of schools and things these days. Right. Um, why the, the university that I attended is, is, uh, working to disavow the name of the person it's named for, not to say that person didn't do some good, but maybe arguably, but that the, the bad that we all verify that was done, um, hurts a lot of people. And that's sort of the argument being leveled at, uh, Hamilton and at Lin-Manuel Miranda's like, portrayal of Hamilton and, and co. And I assume like the facility of it, right. That it's kind of, uh, childish or, or top level. That's kind of the criticism. I buy all of that. Um, and I suppose I are, would say, I'm sure he buys all of that as well. I don't think that he's out here going, that's not fair. That's not cool. I think he's probably like, yeah, no shit. Is that unfair? Am I being too rose colored glasses? No, I think that there's another part to this, which is, um, it's not that anyone or this, it's not like I agree with you. I don't, I don't disagree with the nuanced conversations about his work and what gaps there are and what's missed 100%. I also think the other part of it is that mocking him or criticizing him is something that he would take well. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Like they, I think that there's a part of it that is not necessarily mean spirited in the way that, you know, the internet routinely mocks people or whatnot. It's actually about, oh, he can take this. He will take it. So this is why I'm going to do it. You know, he's a little goofy. He's a little, it's part, it's both things, right? The goofiness, the corniness, the dorkiness part of the making fun of that is that, well, that's already kind of feeding a narrative that he set up for himself anyway. So he's not, he's not going to fight that. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Um, and then the second part of it is 
that you would hope that given all that he's achieved, that he will not only be receptive to it, but he's going to be one of the people who, you know, isn't going to issue a, I hate cancel culture, but rather, yeah, yeah, I'm going to listen. And we know he does listen. We know he is online. We know he does know the memes. We know he does pay attention. Yeah, I think that's what's on the table, right? Like it's, it's, I agree with you. I don't think he's going to be fussed about any particular criticisms, especially not criticisms. No, but you see, it's not really about him. Like what I'm saying is it's not about him. What I'm talking, what I'm driving at is the intention of the people like throwing this at him. Well, of course, but this is where I actually think it is. This is where the question lies. Um, Because, uh, uh, yeah, no, there's the stuff about him. Who cares? I agree. I just wanted an excuse to mention that that ethos was best expressed in Crucible Cast Party, um, which, again, is a tiny little, I've mentioned it 10 times, but the tiny little skewering of uh, drama kids in high school while punching down on some level also is like an admission of I'm still this kid. Uh, And I do think there's a bigger world in the sense that nobody knows their own flaws better than an insecure person, uh, an insecure theater kid in this world. So I don't think that if I think about a man, I don't know a creator uh, who is sort of the second coming and sort of, you know, like seems to be turning things into gold, but also not like I would wager there's no criticism that they don't know. But at the same time, there is the mounting fame and vaunting and celebration and so forth. The, the, the question to me is not, will he or the people around him take the criticisms of, uh, you know, of erasure of certain groups, which we'll get into more in a minute, um, or of, you know, the uh, whitewashing of sins that uh, could reasonably be leveled at Hamilton or arguably at other projects, you know. Um, The question is not whether is it true. The question is kind of the least sexy version, which is how do you fix that on the ground? He will know to say the right things online or in a carefully, like, uh, constructed interview or whatnot. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried that this will become a, I don't know, a Rob Lowe or a whatever, where somebody's like, well, actually, you don't know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the question is, there are structural reasons for these criticisms, right? Which doesn't say mm-hmm. that they are outside of Lynn manuel Miranda's control. What it does say is, he's now a big enough deal to push back against the structural issues of not being exposed, for example, to enough uh, Afro-Latinx people to play lead roles in In the Heights, because the criticism is that uh, the neighborhood of Washington Heights is dominated by the Afro-Latinx culture that is synonymous with Dominican culture and that none of the lead roles in In the Heights, the movie, reflect that. That's valid. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's easier to say it's very valid, but it's easier to say the thing in the interview or in the magazine profile about, we wish we had, or we're having talks about, or we're whatever, than it is to actually go and do the thing. Um, and it's easier both because it's harder to go do the thing. And also because it is it's less high profile to go and do the boring work and to push back a casting meeting or a magazine profile or whatever, until you have the people that reflect that you've done the work. Um, you know, it's not what Lynn manuel Miranda does best is the show. And, uh, if you're doing the work before the show, then there's not much to show for it. And, pardon the English language for how inarticulate that sentence sounds, but you know what I'm getting at? Like yeah. the hard work has to be done in private. And so that to me is the, is the real question now of whether he will ascend to the next level of mm-hmm. uh, deserved Hollywood architecture 
as opposed to somebody who was somebody's darling for a while. Yeah, I think that's the question too. And I think we talk a lot about capital and accumulating power and how you use it. And I think the next level of that is how you use power at levels. And what I'm getting at is, you know, the basest analogy is you have $5, you can go into certain stores and spend that $5 judiciously, right? Then a month later, you have $100 and you go to another level of spending and you have to think about it judiciously. So when that is applied to power and influence, um, the example about Lin-Manuel Miranda is that when he was trying to get this movie made from his stage production, um, he said, to me at least, when, when I did an interview with him- Oh, I'm that sorry, it, to the- me at least. That's, that's <laughs> just, that just got dropped in there. He said to me in our firsthand conversation, yes, please go on. Um, That, you know, it took a while to make this movie because initially in all those meetings, they kept saying, um, well, we we think Usnavi should be like someone with a big name. Right. And um, Usnavi being the lead in the show played by Anthony Ramos. Exactly. And at the same time, well, we know Hollywood, Hollywood wasn't producing or encouraging actors of different ethnicities, especially from the Latinx community, to become big names. So that's that vicious cycle, right? They keep saying, well, we want a big name, but there's no big name, so we can't really have a big name, but there's no big name, but we want a big name, right? So for him, his pushback in getting and really landing on Anthony Ramos is that he was like, well, no, this is the person who's right for the job. And we're not going to wait for, or we're not going to look outside of that for a big name or a bold face name because you can't keep doing this. We're going to create that star here. So that was his influence applied to that situation. Now, a few years later, he has more influence. He has more capital. How does he spend it? Well, it's going to have to be a bigger push, right? hey, I not only want my big star or I I not only want to create a star out of someone who might not be a bold-faced name, but this, that, the X, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth. Absolutely. Um, And I think the question is about who you push back at and towards. Um, You know, we can all cheer for that story of, no, Anthony Ramos is the guy because uh, it's cheering for the underdog it's cheering for, you know, the, the right person for the role, quote unquote, to win, right? And that is something that is a real celebrated, we love casting stories, even if even people who don't like the entertainment industry love casting stories in situations where it's like, oh, it could have gone another way, but it went this way and it was amazing. What Lynn may have to push back on now is, uh, is within his own team, within not choosing the quote unquote best person for the role, perhaps, because somebody Mm. else who is better uh, suited to reflect a lesser known uh, ethnicity or culture hasn't been given as much experience. So they are not as practiced or talented. That's a pushback. That's a real flex, right? or putting the time into somebody who is a raw talent and pushing off your premiere for, or the start of shooting for two years so that you can Mm -hmm. develop that person so they can get to where they are supposed to be. That's the next flex. And that is pushing back where it hurts because people don't like to lose money, right? Like that's Mm. what it is now. Now it's not just standing up for a people or representing a people It's saying, if I'm going to represent people in the way that I have said I'm going to, and I think to be fair, he has mostly uh, been adamant about standing up for uh, and towards his, uh, you know, his Puerto Rican origins, as opposed to saying he is trying to be the savior of all Latinx people, right? Like, that's a fair thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. But in order to do that, in order to be that guy, 
he's going to have to convince certain people to lose money. And everybody hates that. And that's the, that's the power, right? I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but sometimes you would hear George Clooney say, or, or Brad Pitt or whatever, say it took this long to get this movie together because we had to wait for this person and we had to wait for that person with this and that. What they're not saying is we had to put the other people who we weren't waiting on, on hold, on retainers, and that costs money. And that is worth the money because it's going to be a Brad Pitt movie at the end. Uh, but this is the flex and the pushback now that has to come is I'm going to cost other people money. And that doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes. That's my other thing. I have said this on this podcast before. I will say it as long and loud as I am here. There's, uh, there's no world in which people don't make mistakes, uh, and that there aren't things to criticize. That isn't, impractical goal to look for. And I don't think most adults are, are trying for that. But the real pushback now is not saying the right thing in interviews or even, uh, saying the right apology. It's literally putting your money where your mouth is. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. But, you know, you mentioned what to say in interviews um, and what not to say in interviews. And then there's John M. Chu, the director, who has been asked about the question of proper representation in the film and casting and has tried to answer, <laughs> but isn't yeah, doing I the job. I think most of that criticism comes from the interview with The Root, uh, which I saw in video form, but I think there's also a print version. And uh, it it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't done well. It cuts together both comments from John M. Chu and questions to the cast who, uh, you know, are not in charge of who's cast, but, you know, uh, sometimes asking actors questions about the business of movie making is going to be an exercise in futility. We all kind of understand that. But yeah, I will say in my opinion, John M. Chu was at minimum not prepared for the question and probably should have been, right? Yeah, I, I would think so. Especially since um, there were criticisms about Crazy Rich Asians. And Tell me more about kind that. I mean, listen, I don't want to, we could do a whole other episode, but, you know, the criticism with Crazy Rich Asians is a certain depiction of, first of all, on top level, a certain depiction of Asians and, you know, some people feeling like that wasn't necessarily, um, that wasn't necessarily uh, fair or comprehensive. Number two, especially since the film takes place in Malaysia, there has been criticism about including all kinds of representation of East Asian and not just, again, there's colorism there too, right? There is lighter skinned Asians. And this is where we're walking into real, like real uncomfortable territory and a hierarchy system that is addressed or that is mentioned in um, Kevin Kwan's books about, um, you know, inter-Asian racism. Right, 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 right. And um, then there is the other criticism about specifically in Singapore, how they are, how other people from South Asian communities are treated. Right. So all that right. was all parts of conversations that John M would have crossed John M Chu's desk. Right. And I guess uh, Crazy Rich Asians, of course is a really, um, it's a somewhat apples to apples conversation in that, uh, it was, you know, people use that phrasing, right? They say, this is 
the Black Panther or the Crazy Rich Asians for the Latinx community, meaning this is the first movie that kind of celebrates parts of our culture for us. Uh, And the cast of Crazy Rich Asians, uh, unlike In the Heights, actually kind of did trade on, look at these big names that we have, right? That basically the biggest names in, if you want to say crossover, uh, you know, Asian mainstream entertainment all kind of appeared in, in the film. So on some level, yeah, he had both dealt with the question and, and you would expect would have seen that it was coming. Um, and without defending or criticizing any casting choices, cause I don't know, you know, I don't know who was seen. I also a hundred percent understand the criticism. You would think that they would have known, particularly with pushing the premiere for a year, they would have known the question was coming, right? I, uh, you know, I, they clearly didn't. Well, that I guess is the, that's the, that's the thing to me. I, even if you think that they ultimately made the right choice in every casting choice, and I'm not saying that's the case, um, but even if you felt that they could have defenses for each and every casting choice or for why there aren't, uh, dark-skinned Afro-Latinx people in the movie or whatever the case was, it, it they should have felt like the question was coming. And that, I guess, is the bigger concern that they didn't see it, right? Let me ask you this. I, you, did you see In the Heights on stage? Uh, I didn't, actually. I did not. Okay. And I have said on this uh, podcast that I blame Britney Spears, but really it's my own <laughs> ignorance. But uh, But yeah, no, I didn't. Tell me about the casting then. Uh, well, I mean, the casting then was, uh, it was a lot more like Lin-Manuel Miranda was playing Usnavi uh, and has said that, you know, uh, he has said Anthony Ramos is better for him, like, like to play him uh, character-wise. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think it was, I, I don't know sort of the, the, uh, exact casting, but I think for the most part, it was probably, uh, how do I put this? I, I, I don't think you'd be surprised by any of the casting, put it that way. Um, I don't think the representation was better, uh, in the Broadway mm. production. Uh, certainly there were people who I wouldn't speak to the, or, you know, the ethnic origins of each, uh, member of the cast, but I don't think that, and also like, that's kind of unfair because who knows who was from of what origin, but I would say that you could probably level the same criticisms in terms mm-hmm. of colorism or et cetera to that show without too much trouble. Does that make sense? Yeah. So given that they weren't prepared because no one prepared them, so probably they weren't having conversations about needing right. to be prepared. Yes. Yes. Then... And if that's what we're driving at, which is on Show Your Work, we're figuring out what happened, how it happened, and how it cannot happen in the future. Yeah. Why didn't you do the work, basically? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the question comes down to uh, what are the structures we have to put in place here? Uh, you know, we are going to be working in better and better, but still imperfect creative scenarios. Uh, from time to time, right? To me, I think the the big issue is uh, that if you reach further into further parts of communities to find people who have been underrepresented, uh, they're also relatively inexperienced. And so you have to factor the level of inexperience, which doesn't mean they're not talented, which doesn't mean they're not brilliant, but you have to factor the, um, the learning curve into your timepiece. So I guess the question is, what are the checks and balances that people need to be having that they're not having? Is it more friends around you who will give you the true dirt? Uh, Is it that when you get too famous at a certain point, um, you know, people won't tell you the truth anymore because they're afraid? Again, it does come back to money. Nobody wants to be the guy who watches the test screening in, you know, their office or whatever. And as a junior executive or elevated assistant says, uh, I think we need to go back and reshoot major parts of this because you become the bad guy. 
Um, and yet that's what people do all the time. So is it just, well, it's money. And then also like who's in the test screening. I mean, I think that that's like an easy go to, but I don't know if it's just about money as opposed to like, you keep going to the closed circles of LMM or, you know, his team and whatnot, because, you know, I can see it happening, right? It's like, your first stage, your first musical was so great and people loved it and it won all these awards. It should be a movie. And people loved it then and they're just going to love it in movie form. Right. But then, like, that is the immediate circle, right? And then it stays that way even though time passes, new conversations are happening um, and you don't update the actual conversation because you've been having the same conversation with the same people. Right. And, but I, but I think it's kind of the same thing, you know, and it's worth noting that in the Heights in particular, um, you know, is well over a decade old, right? Like it's, it's stuff gets baked in, which isn't to say that's okay. That Mm -hmm. said, um, okay, so let's say, so it's the next project and it's like, well, we need to get more different people in the room, right? We're going to bring in people that we don't see and, and hear from as often. We're going to go, going to quote unquote, get it right this time. Right. You also need to be ready for what's going to come out of that. And if somebody says, unless they're there from the beginning, which means it needs to be baked in from the beginning. Uh, somebody who says, Hey, you got this wrong. You missed this element needs not to be vilified, but to be heard. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. that involves, we got to reshoot, we got to recast, yeah. we got to rethink. Right. Yeah. And you know, I feel like to your point earlier, this could easily have happened to anybody if it can happen to this movie. Absolutely. And, and like, yeah. Yeah. The on. point here is not to strive for perfection and be like, well, if only they did this, it would have been perfect. And so they should have done this. And that's all. I feel like that's how a lot of conversations are going without the piece that is, listen, it's hard right now to figure out exactly how to do it and how to do it without criticism and include everybody and make sure every point of view is heard. The effort is happening, but it is hard. Well, and let's make no mistake here. This is, that effort is only happening on, uh, on the parts of people who are trying to make projects, films, movies, whatever, that uh, speak to communities that haven't been seen. You know, people talk about the criticism of Friends, the deserved criticism of Friends for how incredibly white it was, Right. And mm-hmm. that's absolutely true. And it was shockingly, disgustingly white, but they weren't the only ones telling the 20 somethings in New York story. Then they didn't have the obligation of getting it all right for everyone because, mm-hmm. um, they were never the first only different. These are criticisms that are lobbied at, uh, at, projects that are trying to show off an element of a group, uh, and you know, and that then become tasked with being everything to everyone. Yeah. We were joking about to all the boys I loved before earlier, but one of the reasons I think that, that people love that series of books and of movies is because it's talking about a very specific family with a very specific set of circumstances that allows for those specificities to, to exist and to be, uh, to have the significance they're supposed to have. Does that make sense? It's representation Mm -hmm. and it's seeing somebody on screen. Uh, if you are half Korean, for example, who looks like you and lives like you, but also very much doesn't as opposed to a, a crazy rich Asians or an in the Heights, which is ostensibly talking about your whole ass culture and representing your whole ass culture because nothing else is doing it. And so to that point, the criticisms are valid and they should Mm -hmm. happen, Mm -hmm. but they are happening to, you know, 
movies and projects that have to be all those things or are asked to be all these things or have a pressure of being first and like the first one out of the gate. So and making yeah, mistakes as, as the a prototype. Yes, right. Yeah. So as the where prototype. the defensiveness comes in, you know, like that's yes. why the defensiveness and like, didn't you see this? And, and we tried that. I don't think it's a good idea to be that defensive. Uh, I yeah. still think they should have been prepped, but that's where I think the, that. Yeah. I think some, some understanding I think sh- should be applied there as well. I mean, and I think it is, I, you know, again, to go back to what we're saying, any criticisms about Lin-Manuel Miranda are, I don't think they're malicious. They're like, hey, you've done really great, but here's where you could do better. Like no one, no one is out here being like, cancel everything. Um, At all. But this is the reality, right? This is the reality. It's an added burden, already hard for certain people of color from marginalized communities to get their work made. And then the added burden is that, yeah, it's not going to be perfect and they have to keep trying and they have to keep learning from it. It boils, and I'm not trying to be trite, but it does boil down to that superhero phrase, right? Like with great power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. This is a narrative we've been learning since we first voted for like grade six rep, right? It's if you're going to be the one, if you're going to be the one out there in front, then you need to have my interest in hand, your interest in hand, particularly if you are going to talk, if you're going to say that you represent all of us, right? If you're going to say that you represent me as, uh, you know, a woman or a Torontonian or somebody who is half Egyptian or whatever, you better get in my concerns. And I think that's where these criticisms are coming from. And I think everybody, uh, is, is obligated to do the best job they can even as mm-hmm. we know that that will never be, it'll never be a perfect job. Well, you know, that reminds me of an interview I did recently for eTalk with uh, Shayla Stonechild. She is an activist, an advocate, and we were talking about allyship, which is not necessarily totally connected to our conversation, but there are through threads, especially as it relates to perfectionism. I asked her about trying about like allyship. A lot of the the issue was about allyship, which isn't necessarily what we're talking about right now, but it's all connected about doing better and learning. And I said, you know, there are a lot of people who are, who are, want to be better allies, but they're afraid of making mistakes because of what we've seen and criticism Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and all of that. And she said something to me, which many people are discussing. It just, it, it just coming from her, it just, it really landed with me. And her response was essentially, we all need to get rid of the need to be perfect. She said, perfectionism is rooted in white supremacy. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's an indigenous activist and, you know, she talks a lot about white supremacist structures and how they've shaped our worldviews and attitudes about working and about being the best, about being right all the time, and essentially about having to achieve perfection as opposed to keep, as opposed to the idea of like, you keep trying, you're going to fuck up. And the goal isn't to be like, ah, shit, I wasn't perfect. The goal is to be like, yep, I screwed up and let's keep going. Right. And I thought it was a really interesting, yeah. The idea that even perfectionism is like rooted in white supremacy, the idea that there's a perfect to be, is that kind of the idea? Yeah, a purity, right? Mm. Like Mm. 100% whole. Um, I mean, she didn't say that, but in my thinking about her comments afterwards, and then of course I like, you know, I wanted to know more about this concept of perfectionism being rooted in white supremacy, especially how, as it's applied to, um, Western behavior, um, Mm -hmm. there, and, and she talked about how in many other cultures that aren't, you know, given the space, especially in the circles we move in, um, the focus is more on understanding that 
who we are as human beings is flawed. Like, you know, we are not, per- no, who is perfect, right? I think this is a, re- a thing that we all say, well, I'm not perfect, but I don't know that we put it into practice in certain ways where the fundamental, the fundamental state of being human is to be flawed. So to expect perfectionism from, from a state of being that is already not perfect is unrealistic. So there, that's why other cultures like, you know, and many cultures around the world don't put any focus on perfectionism. Rather, it's more of a recognition of um, our, the humanness in us. And this is what she was trying to say, is putting focus on our humanity and the fact that what is what is true and great about humanity is that we have to keep trying, is that we have always kept trying. Absolutely. Yeah, the the kind of euphemism about that that I love the most is that phrase, like, nobody gets out alive. Nobody gets out of life alive, right? You can't mm-hmm. do it so right that you supersede uh, the eventual end. And you can't yeah. do it so right that you don't make mistakes. That's not a... a a pursuable goal. Um, right. So I like that a lot. I buy that for sure. And I also don't think we're going to get to that point. I hope we're, we're, we are through the lens of expecting or hoping for perfection in 20 years, but I think we got to go through it to get there, to get to that realization. Yeah. Well, I brought it up because it speaks to like defensive reactions to anything, right? Like, you know, what we're saying here is that, like, listen, I think a lot of people are going to have to get it wrong for a while um, mm-hmm. because we're mm-hmm. all fucking navigating through all this. So it's not about saying, hey, in the Heights, John M. Chu and Lynn manuel Miranda, you sucked and whatever. It's actually about, like, this could have happened easily to any of us. You're a content creator. You write stories. It can easily happen to the next show you're doing where you miss something. And you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really important that like, yeah, and this me is not too. there, but for the grace of everything, go all of us. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so how do we, how do all of us who are like, and it's not just in our business, but like the next time you're writing a proposal, the next time you're whatever in a meeting, the next time, how do you meet that, that criticism without like in a productive way? What Shayla was trying to say is, like when you when you uh, look at it through perfection, then of course you're going to be like, fuck, you know. But if you look at it through, yep, I gave it a shot and I didn't hit the target and I'm going to have to try again. Uh, yeah, or puzzle pieces, right? Like, like uh, you know, the target or the whatever that like all of these elements combined can make something that is closer to perfect. Than, uh, than trying to make these sort of silos of, of utterly unimpeachable content, which you can do. You can make utterly in, unimpeachable content that hits every, every, every bar we want to hit. I don't know if it's also the content that endures and that we want to talk about and whether flaws and bumps and things are part of what keep things in our, in our consciousness and part of what keep things in our, in the culture that we talk about. It's something that I actually really, it's why I'm so into this conversation about in the Heights, but also like broadly, um, as it applies to my approach to work, because I am to, like, I'm a control freak and like, I do have a mindset where I want to be right and get it right. And yet, you know, I think, I think that it's impossible to know. Yeah, it's impossible. Well, I think knowing is the greatest. uh, I think that's the point there. It's impossible to know what it will be. Uh, I had a, uh, I had an experience last week. I had a series of meetings and I thought to myself, is my swearing out of hand? Is it making people uncomfortable? Is it going to be the thing that people are going to say in a few? Oh, you know, that woman, she swore a lot. Oh, but she didn't mean to. But, you know, when we when we make that something that is inappropriate or, you know, or whatever, or the amount of time you spend or the things that you don't realize that you're saying, it's impossible. You cannot police yourself for all the things uh, in advance. 
Some of them you can. The rest of them, in retrospect, you go, wow, I like, let me put this as a chapter in my book that uh, that ended in a way differently than I expected and go on to the next one. Yeah. And hopefully, like, you know, the team of In the Heights is hearing all that. And they definitely dropped the ball, many of them, John M. Chu, on, on this. I would hope that, like, now is a time for, okay, I wasn't perfect on that. And, you know, I... I got to do more. But on that note, like, you know, if you want to keep talking about it and having these valid conversations, you have to see it. So the summer movie in the Heights, go or go see it or stay see it. I don't know how, <laughs> what the phrase is for when you stay home and see it. I mean, the fantasy has been like, see it in the backyard, broadcast it onto a sheet. And I do feel like there are people actually doing that. Um, in nature, Duanna, well, in nature, a backyard is about <laughs> as nature as it, as it gets, you know, that's, that's fine <laughs> with me. Um, but do let us know. And we're not just saying that in the way that people close out. Uh, we would like you to tell us what you want us to talk about next week. Uh, rather than go with, we'll read your notes. We are going to talk your topics, uh, dictate the lineup. Yes, we are going to make last week our last episode before we take a season break for the aforementioned summer. So if you want us to dig into the work of Ben and JLo or uh, the work of the... <laughs> That'll be a yes. Returning Royals. films or whatever <laughs> it is, you hit us up and let us know. Yes, dictate the lineup. That is the homework. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. If you haven't subscribed, please do so wherever you get your podcasts and leave comments and reviews. They really help us and they help people find us. We love doing it. We love hearing from you. And until next time, show your work. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 